take time to understand who you are. And I always say like a bad decision is better than indecision. I want to take risks. I want some stuff to fail. Throw like five things at the wall and, and two of them are going to stick. And you know, that fail fast mentality that a sports coach once who said to me, get comfortable with being uncomfortable, Dan. The most successful people I know are the biggest risk takers. Whatever it takes, you know, no matter how young or old you are, it, it, it's the rest of your life. It's the biggest investment you've got and, and that's you. And you don't get a second shot at this life. Don't wait, embrace it, celebrate your failures. It's the most important question in this podcast. It's the most important question in life. Welcome to Sports and Outdoor Mentors. In this episode, I chat to Daniel McCauley, the founder of Brandwave Marketing. We filmed this episode in a tent, so apologies for the background noise. Brandwave Marketing is a specialist marketing consultancy that handles strategy and creative for some of the leading sports and outdoor brands around the world. I chat with Daniel about life before Brandwave, about the challenges of founding and leading a business, and about a life-changing event that put everything into perspective. But before we get into the episode, I have one favor to ask. Please hit the subscribe or follow button. This helps us to continue to elevate the content and to bring you more insights from some other amazing leaders from the sports and outdoor industry. So thanks very much in advance for your support and see you soon. Dan, what are the defining factors, the defining events of your life, if you like, that brought you to where you are today? I would say a, a fairly straight trajectory actually i guess i was i was fortunate enough to really discover what what my passions were and are i'm super young i've been lucky enough to be provided with many opportunities over time and not always easy but to, to, to sort of stay close to those those passions and i think there is a great irony that's going to give quite a few people a laugh um, that i'm here talking about a career with you because yeah i think most people would argue i've never worked a day in my life <laughs> I say that I've literally just come off the water here surfing at the wave and uh, I'll probably go for a run later and, and, and that's work. And um, so I, I do consider uh, myself and, and, and people like you who work here in the industry to be, you know, we're, the, we're the lucky ones, right? For sure. I grew up in Ireland on the southwest coast, which is you know, really beautiful and a lot of opportunities for sports and outdoors. As a kid, I was, I was a pretty mixed up kid, not particularly happy, didn't have a particularly stable home life and I lacked uh, confidence and you know a sense of identity and 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 just sort of the key tools to, to to deal with a lot of different things in my life my family moved to a little bay called the um, oyster haven and there was a amazing water sports center there called the oyster haven center um it's, it's still running and you know hundreds of thousands of kids and adults have been through there and it's, it's really changed their lives and I was I was 11. Uh, my mom had had been there and done a, a sort of windsurfing course and, and I got booked on and I found my thing. And, and I remember it so clearly and I was like, God, you know, I love this. And for the first time in my life, I'm actually, I'm all right at it, you know, I think good would be a stretch, but you know, that was about 89, I think. And I just, from that day till, till this day, probably even more so, you know, now I just wanted to be a part of that world. I was like... Uh, you know, it was everything from mountain biking to hiking to sailing, windsurfing and all those things. It changed me. It was a catalyst for change, you know, an enabler. Gave me physical fitness. You know, later on I went to, to sort of compete at, at quite a serious level. But also, I, you know, I did a lot of coaching and, and was coached. And um, so it gave me like physical fitness and health, which it still gives me. And I'm a huge believer that that, that mental health is is closely linked with, it, with your physical health. 
And yeah, mentally as well, you know, mental health, now they've got a name for it, right? Blue health, green health, all these different things. But it's funny because people think like there's something new. I'm like, yeah, no shit. You know, (laughs) you think we're out here in January in in the water in like zero degrees every day (laughs) just for the fun of it? Of course, it's, I know that when times are tough, in, in my life that that, that fixes me in, in so many different levels. I'm so lucky to have that. Societally, you know, I see how, how sports and the outdoors and I, and I learned back then um, can help others of all, of all ages and it, and it can bring otherwise divided societies t- together and, and, and business-wise, you know, commercially, I, I see sports as a catalyst for change. And, and I, I learned back then that you can, you can, you can make a living out of this as, as, as we both, as we both try to do every day. <laughs> so it's not easy. Uh, no one said it was easy, but it, it can be fun. And, and I wanted a, a job. And I remember going to Oliver Hart, who's, who's still a friend who was running this, this great water sports center. And he, um, he was like, we, we can't pay you. You're 11 years old. You know, so it's, it's illegal. And I would just, I was like, I want, I'll, I'll do anything. I'll clean the toilets. I'll, you know, you don't have to pay me. I just want to be, I just want to be part of that. I think just energy is a really important thing. And that's probably something we'll come back to. And I think, you know, he just probably, you know, his own passion for it and the love of it, you know, I think he probably saw replicated. So we had a deal where they were going to pay me in surfboards and bikes and, and things. And, um, that actually went on to become a thing which be- became called the, the panel um, where kids started getting in really young and learning the skills and getting you know, trained to be instructors. And now thousands of kids have been through that program. And I went back to, um, to, to present at what became called the Spirit of Oyster Haven Trust years ago. And I saw those kids and, I, and they were like, you, you, you were the first, you know, you just annoyed us so much that we, we, <laughs> we had to let you do it. And, and there's, a, there's a lesson from that because that, you know, I, I ended up in, in that situation again and again in life where uh, I just wanted it. I just wanted it more than anybody else. There wasn't a role and it wasn't about the money. It wasn't about the job title. It wasn't about, you know, where the desk was. And at the time, you know, it all seemed fairly, you know, uh, irrelevant, but I look back on it now and I get asked for career advice so much. If you want to be part of a thing, you know, forget the quantitative stuff. And everyone's got overheads and everyone got thing, you know, but if, if you're in it, you'll love it. You'll do fine. You'll rise up quick. Um, but, but, but be in that place. And, and that got, and that got replicated then through different stages of my career. Um, probably, you know, it'll happen again today, you know, when I'm meeting with, 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 with clients and they're, they're like, yeah, God, that guy, you know, he's, he's not so smart. He's not so good, but Jesus, he, he's pretty, he's pretty, uh, wildly enthusiastic about it. Um, so that was, that was kind of the beginning. You spoke there about, let's say your early days. And then obviously you went to, to university, um, in Dublin, if I believe and you did a so marketing degree and then business and psychology masters but you also I've heard consider yourself as not being academic I've heard you describe yourself like that and also that you feel that having let's say a formal education or or a degree maybe we could specify a degree is not necessarily important for getting in and succeeding in this industry so can you kind of expand on that a little bit? Some of it's not through choice, you know, like when I was young, I wanted to fit in and I just stood out. I didn't, I didn't fit in and it made me sad. You know, I, I wanted to fit in. And at some point I, I probably when I started getting more confidence in the self sense of identity, you know, when everyone else was playing football or, or whatever it was, and I, I was doing something different. I started realizing that that's just never going to be for me. You know, everyone looks left. I look right. That's just, I don't know about embracing it. I do embrace it now, but, but, but back then I, um, I started accepting it. 
I think would be the the the, the correct word. And I was doing a lot of um, windsurfing competitions. Windsurfing was like the fastest growing sport in the world back then. And I was doing pretty well in, in Ireland. And, I, you know, I thought I was good. And um, so I decided like in my, you know, mid late teens, I was going to move to Hawaii. And that set me straight pretty quickly, actually. <laughs> you know, uh, yeah, I, on my plane flight out, I was actually met another kid who was 15 at the time called Robbie Swift. And... And he and I are in the water every day. And then I saw what a, a real talent looks like. And it wasn't even like who, who, who was better at certain things. It was the speed that he learned. And I, and I, and I realized, you know, I'm, I'm lacking a few things here to, to be a, a, a professional sportsman, um, which, is, which is a good thing. I think it could have saved me, you know, a long and unsuccessful career as, as an athlete. And I, and I thought, right, you know, I, I have to do something else. But in school, I was not academic. Really struggled to fit in to you know that that conformity i wasn't interested in it. and it's really interesting now you know that that i see different countries are moving away from this model where all kids have got to be a jack of all trades and, and they're saying you know what let's let's do an aptitude test and find out what they're good at but back then it was we really had to cover a lot of subjects which i wasn't you know naturally um naturally right-brained i think i literally just went surfing during some of my exams in in, in high school um, and I was lucky enough to, I wanted to work in the film industry and I was lucky enough to get it an in. So I took, I took a gap year and I worked in, um, for the London Film Commission. I worked on a, an ITV kids series at, at like the lowest level, but I worked hard. Like I had to be on set at 4am and we're in a new place every day. And it, it taught me a lot about, you know, cause everyone else was kind of like first year of you and freshers in university. And I was, you know, working myself to an early grave. Um, and it taught me how hard you have to work if, if you want to be successful. And I know somewhere, somewhere along that time, I just started looking at, at, at marketing because I was really interested in psychology, really interested in business, really interested in, in creativity. And as soon as I started doing that, as soon as I, um, as I, as I went to college and, and I started doing that, I was, I was in that for the love. I, I wasn't in it for the, uh, getting the exam grades or getting the degree. I was in it for the, for the love of learning. And, and I did do really well then. That was the first time I started, you know, finishing first in my class and, and I think a lot of people, there's a huge, you know, dropout rate because a lot of people were just like, oh, marketing, that sounds pretty fun. And then they realized they had to do some work. And every year I'd lose half of my class. And, but I would just read around it. You know, I'd read the books for fun. It just ticked every box for me. Um, I was sure is what I wanted to do. And then when it came to the end of that, I, yeah, I did a master's degree that was focused on, on, on motivational psychology in, in Dublin Business School. And again, I ended up, I did a dissertation on that and I ended up um, selling it to the, to the mobile phone company um, that, that kindly uh, let me do the, the research for free. <laughs> and, um, you know, you were saying about, do, do people need a, a formal education do they need to study something? No. And what I learned was, yes, it was useful, but marketing moves so quickly. You know, I always say to people that 30, 40% a year, it just, you know, channels change so quickly now. And, you know, we're getting into the AI and the metaverse and NFTs. And, you know, I did this over 20 years ago. So a lot of that is, is pretty irrelevant now. What I learned is less relevant to how I learned it. It's that, you know, you've got to do a presentation now. 
uh, this morning on the spot in front of you know a lot of people that 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 working under pressure that having deadlines that being accountable those those skills are good and certainly sort of postgraduate level there was huge amount of pressure and and a lot of change and 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 working where i work now you know uh, it's it's a new company it's a new job every day and um, you either love that or hate it. I've never, I've never met anyone sort of, sort of in the middle, and 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 thankfully, thankfully, I, I, I love it. You know, it keeps it fresh, keeps it exciting, but it can also give you a nervous breakdown. <laughs> Which goes back to the need for for sport and. Oh yeah, yeah. And the... Don't get me wrong. You know, I've, I've snapped into a few times. Yeah. You left university, and I don't know the time frame, but you know, let's say your first job was marketing director for europe for o'neill so a pretty <laughs> when, when uh, you put it like that yeah a pretty uh impressive step from uni straight into that role uh, you've touched on this a little bit already but i understood your your tactic your approach for for getting that role was somehow quite risky this is like my, my early 20s my best friend paddy and I, I, um, my girlfriend at the time were both english and she was doing a postgrad in um, ship science in southampton I was just finishing my postgrad and they both convinced me to move um, over for the UK, you know, and, and I said, I come for a week. I packed my guitars, I packed my surfboards and you know, 22, later, 22 years later, I'm, I'm, I'm still here. And at this point, you know, I thought I was, I was fairly hot shit. You know, I was doing pretty well in, in, in university and it's always good to get cut right back down. This is again a, a theme in my life. And I was applying for, for jobs. I was just getting nothing but rejection. And uh, I had a, in the little flat we were in, the, the guy who lived across the road was a, a property developer. And he, his thing was you had to furnish these, these things with as much sort of Ikea furniture as you could physically fit in before you sold them. And you'd get like 20 foot containers of flat pack. And my job was to be in there by myself. You know, there was no heating and, and I was really broken in debt. I was just doing like 12 hour days by myself. Um, like six days a week, just making a lot of, I can, you should see me make flat pack now. It's, like, like I'm, a, I'm a ninja. I could do interviews, you know, give me a lot of time for, for thinking. And I was applying for some pretty shitty jobs and just getting straight no's. So I was, I was like, wow, the, the real world is, is a little tougher than, than, than I hoped. I think I listened to a talk at a, at a graduation by Steve Jobs. And he, um, he talked about joining the dots and we, when he was fired from Apple. And he went and did a calligraphy course um, that just seems totally irrelevant. Um, but he wanted something to do and then he got rehired at Apple and, you know, the, you know, all this famous campaign started and there's famous talks, but when they came to doing the fonts on what was, I guess the first iMac, you know, they were like, are we going to use Times New Roman? He's like, hell no, we're going to use, I don't know what they use, Helvetica or something. And, you know, and, but what he was talking is, is that seemingly disparate things you do in your life and oftentimes obscure things you do in your life, do them because they, you know, if you have the right brain, they, they all feed in, 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 in different, in different ways. And, and that was what it was for me because I went to the London Boat Show. It's about I don't know, 2002 or something like that. I printed off a load of CVs and I'm like, this, this is kind of my background a bit. I mean, I don't really know that many people in the UK. Off I went to London Boat Show and I bumped into a friend of mine from uh, Belfast, who's still a great friend of mine, Fred Willis who worked for um, one of the magazines. And he said, hey man, I, you know, O'Neill, which are you know, huge and still are the biggest, the biggest player, are hiring for a, a European um, marketing director. And I said, I mean, I said, yeah, it sounds great, but I'm, I think I'm, 
maybe a little junior for for that. And he said, well, look, you know, no harm. Uh, I'll come and introduce you. Another great theme, the no harm, get to know somebody. And the guy I met was Dee Caldwell, who's to this day one of the biggest sort of inspirations and, and influences in my life. He's ex-Windsurf World Champion. He was sales manager at the time. And his, his brother, Pete Caldwell, who's like uh, the godfather of the sports industry, um, was there as well. And I saw I saw Dee and I said, I remember you. We did this contest during the Troubles in Northern Ireland. It was my first time up there. You came over, you were like the VIP you to present the prizes and you didn't have any kit. And I was riding the same brands as you and I lent you my kit. And I said, well, you owe me, you got to give him this job, don't you? You know, and he was like, oh, cheeky little fucker. But, you know, it was something interesting. It was, you know, it was, it was, uh, it was trying to pick out a bit. That only got me past the first interview, yeah, right? It was a connection. Yeah. And then I heard some of the, the level of some of the other people who were going for it. I think the, the marketing director of Oakley in South Africa and, and, and a few other people and, I, you know, no matter how much I tried to sort of fluff it up with, with, with CV, you know, it, it was what it was. You could see, anyone could see straight through it. But what I did have was that, that love, you know, arguably I've been training for that job my whole life. You know, I'm not talking about with, with degrees, like just with, with, with water sports and no notion. And I felt confident in that, that I, that I knew the market because I, I was the market, you know. Um, and at that point I've been lucky to travel a lot as well and, and, and see it more sort of internationally. Um, but you know, I was like, Dan, the, you, you're going to have to pull something out here to, to do it. So what I did was instead of, you know, going and saying, you know, you, go, you guys are great. This is perfect. This is my dream job, et cetera. I was like, I need to go out and do a sort of SWOT analysis in this company. So I went around and I interviewed some of the key retailers and, and asked them about, you know, all the things about like the pricing structures, about the delivery times, the rest of it. I spoke to some of the athletes. I spoke to some of the guys in the magazines. I mean, this was uh, almost pre-website, definitely pre-social media. And I talked about, you know, the, the, the different sort of joint promotions, the opportunities and, and, and the reviews. And I spoke to some of my friends who worked in the industry about the manufacturing process and, and, all, and all the rest of it. And I, and I put together a, a pretty scathing analysis of where it was. And then I put together my, um, if you hire me, this is how I, I would fix it. And then I went out and I bought a t-shirt with a big O'Neill logo on, on, on the center. Man, you know, talk about fake it till you make it. And I remember going for the interview. God, I'm so embarrassed saying this. And I was in the car and that Eminem song was on, you know, um, I think, I oh, don't make me sing on a, on a podcast. Uh, but it was all about thing in the moment and you've got to make it and this this is now's your time to shine and i was all g'd up in the car and i was like this is it dan my, my other job i gotta get this in right i was on the second interview for a dental insurance company and you, you've seen my teeth you know i'm never gonna get that job right so life could have been so so different i don't want to work in dental insurance but i needed i needed a job at this point and, and i went in and i, and I presented and i was like you know I think, I guess everyone else had, had taken, you know, I said everyone looks left and I look right, had taken one approach. And I said, you know, th 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 there's a challenge and an opportunity here, you know, because you want to you want to grow the business and and we need to identify where those opportunities are. And th this is where I think they are. And I'm not sure, but I think if we tried some of these things, we need to take a few risks and be willing to fail a little bit as well. I think I think I can move it forward. And between the shared passion for sports, which was obvious, um, between the fact that I'd done something different and actually maybe, you know, got their attention, you know, those guys were both, you know, they, they were used to faking it till they make it. And not, not for a second do they not see, see right through it, but I thought, you know, uh, the older I, I get, the more I, I, con I concentrate on, I think about energy and 
it just really supersedes anything what's on paper and skills and and, and all those things and I was gonna I was gonna learn it and they they said okay well we'll, we'll give you this but you're on trial for double the amount of time that anyone else would be and I was like yeah I got you now you know right <laughs> once I was in there I was in and and, and uh, that that's how I got the O'Neill job so young and then you know pretty pretty quickly you know I was driving like this, this banger car and they gave me a brand new Mercedes van and I was flying out to um, you know Hawaii for my sales meetings on the North Shore and and uh, I was like, wow, you know, sometimes life is not all about getting what you want. It's about keeping what you got. And I was like, this is, this is cool. I, I can do this for a while. And the, the friends I made there at work, um, that was 21 years ago. I've just come off the water. I've just been surfing with those guys, people like Joe Turnbull. They are still great friends and we still find ways to, 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 to cross paths and we hang out. We did a big endurance challenge together. And, and that comes down to, yeah, you know, work colleagues, really really second to we're just a bunch of people with 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 aligned values and and, and passions and um and that was that great story and an amazing opportunity uh and you were there for i think pretty much four years but when you looking back at those four years i'm, I'm sure going into that role you had this vision that it was probably at the time well not probably i'm sure your dream job and like it's it's almost not going to get any better than this somehow but was there anything that surprised you and disappointed you somehow? I don't think there was anything that, that disappointed me as such. And for sure, for the first couple of years, it was my dream job. Now, I know a few people who've had that since. And some didn't like it as much as others. Um, again, I'm great friends with um, Jan Michaelis, who's, who's got that role currently. And, you know, he lives it. He's flying all around the world. He's surfing every day and just doing some of the most exciting stuff. I think like any other role, it's so easy to blame the company, to blame the job, but it is what you make it, right? My approach to it at the time was to be useful, you know, be useful. And it was, you know, on, on, on the outside, it, it was a huge company, but O'Neill was a wetsuit company and, and it licensed the O'Neill name out at, at the time to lots of different companies all around the world. And um, so we worked directly for Jack O'Neill and I was lucky enough to meet him when he was alive and go to his house and go surfing. And that was really cool. But at the time, it was a very, very complicated company. Um, so on the outside, you've got this chilled North Californian surf brand. But on the inside, you've got like a billion dollar business with, you know, agencies, licensees, franchisees, fast growth, crack, tensions. So there was a lot to learn about the the, the politics of that and you know a lot of those companies action sport companies the billet moment the quicksilvers the rip curls you know they all went through that rapid growth but then also went through a rapid decline so i was there for the rapid growth period so it's really exciting to work in a job where you've got bigger opportunities i got to run like a, a wsl surf event in scotland etc there were a lot of people doing a, a lot of things that they didn't necessarily want to do that this was outside their remit and i just went and mopped those up uh, they did say like who wants to handle this and no one would put their, their hand up and i put my hand up and, and, and do it. And I just inherited all these things that were a mess, but also I became indispensable very quickly because all those really messy things, I was the only person who, who sort of knew what was going on. And that, that far exceeded marketing. By the end of my four-year term there, technically I was the marketing manager, but I also wrote the, the three-year business plan for the whole business, by which time I was about 26, 27. So, you know, obviously I had to work with all the different departments, but I was able to, to, to pull it together. And that was my sort of business background and training. And so many people I see working companies, they understand their job, but they've, they really don't understand the business model. And, you know, I think anyone like yourself, 
people know when someone says this or that and you're like you know a, a classic one is you know you'll hear people talk about sales and turnover particularly salesmen right and you say what's what's the profit of the company no idea you know and they've worked there they've worked there 20 years so i learned a couple of really important lessons about, about that about business in general that marketing managers wouldn't necessarily know like being liquid you know that thing they say that like uh, turnovers vanity profit sanity cash flow is reality and particularly in the current times um where it's tough for everyone right we're just talking about this pre-podcast it, it, it's tough times and the temptation to take work here and there because you know in theory there's there's a big turnover from that but actually it's not profitable or even worse you know you, you're not going to get paid so i get nastier as I get older and, you know, I was a real people pleaser when I, when I was younger, but now I realize in business, you got to be pretty tight on these things if, if you want to stay in business. And, and, I, and I was lucky enough towards the end of my term, it was an education and I, people took a risk on me. People put their name behind me and people mentored me a lot. And I've just been doing the Brandwave Brand Labs where we've, the last three days we've probably had a hundred founders through with our, with our VIP guest mentors. And I try to give that back now a little, a little bit in, in terms of that early mentoring and because I was lucky enough to, to, to have people and, and people still continue to do that for me a lot now. So that's a big theme for me. You said there that you know, people were taking a, a risk on you somehow, but then you took arguably even a bigger risk in the next step. You gave up your nice monthly salary, which I'm sure at whatever it was, 26, 28 by the time you left, I think something like that you were probably thinking, okay, well, this is nice. I had friends who got really upset with me. Yeah. <laughs> really upset. How could you do this? <laughs> look, at, look at my job, look at your job. You know, are you, are you insane? And the misconception at the time was that I had some big thing lined up, you know, which I didn't necessarily want to you know, run out and say I don't, but I'll tell you now, I didn't. Maybe I thought I had a few little things, but they fizzled out pretty quickly. And, uh, you know, to give that some context, why I did it. I'd added my value and it's not about money. It's not about job titles. For, for me, it's about evolving, you know, always evolving, always learning, always feeling a little bit out of my depth. And I work in brand side, as you know, can feel a little bit like Groundhog Day. I'm doing the, the same thing. I'm not feeling scared. And this is a theme for me is I've always got to feel a little bit scared and a little bit, my feet can't touch the bottom properly. And, and there was people above me who I felt had taught me what it was that they had had to learn. And, um, and again, you know, not just the surf industry or the action sports industry, but the sports industry can be incredibly insular. A lot of people grow up in it, you know, marketing, the level of marketing in the sports industry is really low compared to other industries. My frustration was, in, internally, I thought I can cruise 20 years in this, but, but how much am I, am I really going to be challenged? The other part was I had this kind of itch that I had to scratch because there was something that, that I wanted that I couldn't find. And I'm like, well, if I can't find this, maybe I can go create it myself. And that was a bit of a leap. And, and what that came from was I was working with, with uh, marketing agencies um, all different kinds in different countries and someone I'd inherited with the role and some I was dealing with and they were what I would now refer to as generalist agencies. So they were good agencies, you know, good strategy, good creative, but they'd done dog food. They'd done Disney, uh, Nissan, and they were showing me this and I was like, well, that's great, but how much do you know about my industry? Have you ever been to ISPO? And I'm like, Sorry. Have you heard of Corey Lopez or whoever that might, you know, the athletes I worked with at the time and 
they had this glazed look and it wasn't even like the tactical stuff it was more understanding the mindset and you know anything i got through was just so wrong and i thought god man i'm gonna have to teach you guys this and i don't want to i want you to come in here preloaded so my idea having never worked in an agency in my life you know really not knowing the process which was a painful learning curve and my concept sort of my concept for brandwave was we understand your target market because we are your target market and whatever else about the services that we're going to offer you guys which were better or worse at the time and you know frankly there was there was quite a bit of learning on some of those uh, especially in around uh, you know when social media came in etc but i was like we get it first and and I was kind of counting on what had got me into that job and, and previous jobs was going was gonna to get me past. But I had nothing lined up. And Pete Caldwell, who was my boss, became a great friend. And I sat down at lunch a year before I left and said, you know, I'm, I'm going to move on. And, and he fully, fully embraced me. He was like my business dad. And, you know, I made sure that my, my assistant at the time, you know, he stepped up into my role. But I worked for a year. Every, every lunchtime, I'd sit with my notepad and just sketch out, you know, what's what's the service, you know, what's the point of, of difference, what's the process, et cetera. So by the time I'd, I started, my, my, you know, day one um, of Brandwave, you know, someone sit down and talk about the business, I felt like I'd already been doing it for, for, for years. And I think, you know, again, that's the learning, that's the advice I would give to people. You know, a lot of people start the company and they start really start thinking about the nitty gritty, you know, when they've left the job, but actually having a job, that's a, that's a safety net, you know, that provides you a secure framework. Cause it's really hard to think when you're under massive pressure. So I had that time and actually, you know, we didn't go too far from that when, when we started. But I remember the night before I was due to start Brownwave, I think it was like January 1st or whatever. I, I snore really badly and I was was kicked out of bed and I went downstairs, slept on the couch, it was really comfortable, my neck was hurting and hadn't slept much. I woke up and I was like, fuck, <laughs> this is it, man. I was like, what have I done? Um, and that was that was the beginning of Brownwave 17 years ago. Amazing. So when you look back, so let's say 16 years ago to that first 12 months, what was the best and the worst times of that first 12 months? The worst was the isolation because I've been used to working as a team. You don't want clones of yourself in a team. You look at like the A-team, you know, the, from the series from the 80s, they're all really different, right? They're built different. They look different. They've got, all got different personalities and they've got different skill sets. And suddenly it's just me and the cat. And I'm the accounts department, customer service department, you know, project etc etc and, and i'm covering different things that i'm not naturally good at but also just the loneliness you know and i see that now and, and you know it is lonely you know, no matter how many people you have work for you it's lonely at the top and i didn't have that 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 team and even you know when i have had that team it, it's still ultimately me at the top making the decision so that was a transition and it was hard and I was really lucky. I had a former supplier, um, a guy called Duncan Hotsden, who had become a friend. He had worked for a print company that had a, a family, it was a family owned business and had a bit of a, a design element to it as well. And he sort of stepped in as my informal business partner for the first few years and was able to handle, handle more of the um, production side of things. And I was able to handle the, the bits I'm good at. So that you know, within a few months, I found a bit of a solution to that. That was the, the challenge, the, the good stuff was the work came quick. I think one of the, the guys uh, in, in the marketing department who'd taken over got really stressed, punched the computer screen and got electrocuted, I think. 
Um, I had to take a little bit of time off work. Wow. Um, and I got a call saying, we need, we need some help with a few things. And I said, wow, my prices have gone up now, you know, from uh, nothing to, to, to a little bit more. Because I'm so busy, right? Of course. <laughs> I went to the boat show again in London. And I thought, God, here I am again. What have I done? I bumped into my friend, Fred Willis. And he said, you know, um, the guys from Henry Lloyd are here. And I said, well, Henry Lloyd are way too big for me. And he said, well, you know, you should just, just go have a chat. And pretty much the same story all over again, you know, got on really well um, with a guy who called Dave Ellis, who was the, the marketing director, um, became a good friend afterwards. Just that, you know, we didn't talk about work. We just sat down and talked about the kit we're using, you know, da, 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 da. And it was like, of course, we're going to work together uh, so we can just go sailing and, and, you know, fly around the world and do photo shoots and have a great time. And, and we were able with that, with that client um, again, the sailing industry that the marketing is, is, is not sophisticated. And I was looking at much bigger things at the time and I had a lot of ideas. That was a, a time when, you know, everyone on the high street was wearing a sort of a Douglas Gill or a Heli Hansen or a Henry Lloyd or a Musto. And, um, they were one of our first clients. And then a few months later, Adidas and Neil Pride Group. And so really within a few months, we had a pretty great portfolio. And then we have those kind of clients, the smaller brands and the startup brands. It's like, a, it's like a badge of honor. No matter how good you are, you need that sort of third party accredit accreditation, which we got quick. And then I started making mistakes on every level um, and arguably, you know, still do. But uh, that, that part, getting, getting the business in and getting growth and getting visibility, it, it, happened, it happened pretty quick. And I was way out of my depth, but I love it. I love it. And I was, I was like, I just knew I was going to figure it out because I just wanted it so badly. You also, over the years, you've supported other business sometimes as non-exec director. You support a lot of trade shows, a lot of events, as you have been here the last couple of days, a lot of associations. How do you find the time to do that or to do those two? And I, I wish I could say it was two things, but knowing you, it's not two things. So I, I guess it goes back to what I said about the start, the, the, the perception or the misperception that I've never worked a day in my life. It's probably closer to the truth that I've never worked a, a day in my life. You know, someone says to me, you need to, you need to go to planet earth Dan." And I say, well, I went there once. I didn't like it. <laughs> and you say, you know, work, how, how do I find the time to do those things? But most of these things are things that I would, I would do anyway. So for example, we're here at the wave at Bristol, which is, um, human made wave pools in the world. Uh, they're a client. We did, we did their strategy recently. Nick, the founder, has become a good a good friend. I'm going to come here anyway, man. You know, the fact I get to work on it, that's probably why they had me. I'd, I'd already done my staff due down here. You know, I was already loitering. We just we just hadn't met. That's like, that's work, you know, and I'm just in using the product. We understand your target market because we are. I'm here as an ambassador of the Blue Earth Summit, which is something I feel really passionate about. And so if... For people who aren't aware, the Blue Earth Summit is, I think, the world's probably largest and most important conference on sustainability and purpose-driven business, ethical business practice. I would be going to that anyway, even if I didn't work in the industry. That just ticks every box for me. So the fact that I'm here and speaking and I'm hosting panels, we're doing brand lab, that's a bonus. I'm also an ambassador of the Youth Adventure Trust. For the best part of a decade now, we've been doing a lot of pro bono work for that charity and we help conceptualize the Hike Bike Paddle Endurance Contest, which is a sports industry event, or as we refer to it, the sports industry event. We actually did that last week. So you're saying I have to go outside and just go like ride bikes all day and go running and go paddleboarding, you know, and we've managed to to raise, our, I think just, just with that initiative, like 130,000 pounds to help vulnerable young kids 
kids did not get the opportunities that you and I got growing up, you know, to get to get in sports. Kids who um, start displaying behavioral problems because of challenges they've generally got at home. And it's not just like a one-time intervention. Hey, have a nice day. Let's go to Disneyland. This is a three-year program. They have to be recommended by the school and they get a mentor. And I remember at the time, it was Andrew Denton who introduced um, them to us. We were doing a lot of charities at the time, paid. That was, that was how I paid the mortgage. You know, we were doing the RNLI, Children's Hospital Southwest, Target of Our Own Cancer, loads of things. And, but I saw this one. This one was about sports and, and the outdoors and how it changed kids' life. And, I, and I, I'll be honest, like I, can, I just burst into tears watching it. And I was like, we have to be a part of that. Um, so now Ollie, my managing director and one of my best mates, he's on the board. And we're all in that. We put in so much extra time. It's for the love of it. Arguably, we'd, we'd be doing it anyway. You know, um, if Brandwave didn't exist, these are all things I'm, I'm really into. So when you say, how do I find the time? It doesn't feel like I'm, I'm spending a lot of time. And a lot of the things that companies I've invested in or um, been a non-exec director or stuff, it's generally stuff that I'm, I, I really strongly believe in. And I think that kind of comes from I'm lucky that I really discovered my purpose, my sense of identity, my, my belief system very, very young. I've always believed in that. And that's been the acid test of um, what, what I'll get in, involved in. So, it, you know, sport as a catalyst for positive change, you know, anyone can say that, right? But for me, it at the hardest times in my life, that's what I come back to. That's like my true north. And when it comes to a decision-making process of things that I want to be involved in outside of Brandwave, that that's sort of, a, sort of my framework for making decisions. The, the biggest mistakes that I have made when I, you know, people that you like, you know, you want to make a quick buck on something, you know, or, or do a business, you know, quickly to this, that, and the other. And it's, it's about the money or it's, it, it's about the fame or something else. That's generally where, um, I kind of regretted those decisions. Um, but the, but the ones like I've, I've just mentioned, um, they're, they're not easy, but, 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 but I love it. I fully understand your answer. And I think you're very humble in your answer, but it's, you're still making a choice to, let's say do that whatever the time is and yes i i get it it's a passion and you love doing it but it's still a choice to do that rather than maybe spend more time growing brandwave or yeah. or or spend time with your children or it's a, obviously a very conscious choice and a conscious decision you mentioned um children and um as you know i i lost my my youngest daughter through a, a simple throat infection 15 months ago that's the hardest thing I've ever had to, 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 to deal with. I have two, two other children. Going back and doing sports, I knew what I had to do, you know, in order to survive that. And still every day, you know, there are things that I do from um, meditation to ocean swimming. And, and, and generally when I'm at my best is when I'm outdoors and, and I feel most, most connected to her. So, 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 so personally, you know, this, is, this isn't something that I just talk about. This is, this is my way of, of, of living my life. Um, with, with my two other children, I want to be an inspiration to them. I, I came here with uh, my friend Tamara, who's the founder of Sweaty Betty. Um, she was one of my guest mentors yesterday. And I was just out surfing with, 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 with her two girls this morning. And they watched her up on stage. And you know, she's doing amazing things with their, the Sweaty Betty Foundation, um, helping girls through sport. And, and I'm slowly starting to get my kids involved in the sports I'm, I'm not pushing it rather than telling them about values 
Um, I want them to live it and I want them to feel it, you know, so when we do beach cleans and, and all these things, you know, related to like the Blue Earth Summit and sustainability. Plus, I, I live by the beach. The water's full of shit. And, you know, the uh, last summer I, I was on eight weeks, I was on antibiotics, two courses of antibiotics, just from, from the water being over 10 times over the legal limit because Southern Water, you know, would just rather pay the fines and they're, and they're, and they're pumping it out. And we're all getting ill through this 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 thing we love. And this is this is my personal playground. This is where I go to, to fix myself. And I'm I'm starting to fear when I go in the water, I'm gonna become seriously ill. So I have a personal investment. It's not just business. Should I spend more time on Brownwave? Maybe, but I have a great managing director, Ollie Robinson, who is who's still here, and he has a lot of the the hard and soft skills that, that I that I don't would quite correctly argue that he's my boss, as is probably everyone else who works there. It's connecting the dots. You know, when we go to this mentoring thing at say a brand lab, you know, there's hundreds now gone through that. Have we had any work out of any of those guys? No, most of them are are still small, but I just believe in this sort of almost scientific karma way. If you're out there, you're doing, you know, things that you believe in with Youth Adventure Trust, with the Blue Earth Summit, you know, with other businesses, you mentioned the Great Sussex Way. That was, again, that's something I'm passionate about. The average agency, I, I read a report by the Design Business Association um, last three years in, in, in the UK, you know, and we're just coming up to 17. So sometimes when I think I'm doing everything wrong. I think, well, you know, I'm, I'm still in the game, so I must be doing something right. And I also said earlier that it's not about getting what you want, it's about keeping what you got. But within that, you know, I said I made so many mistakes and I and I have, but I'm so much closer to my values now in terms of the people who work for me and, and aligned values. I've got the best team I've ever had. You know, maybe not the most talented at web design or some specific thing, but in overall, in terms of the lover, in terms of the passion, you know, they could all get paid more elsewhere. They get headhunted, you know, they could get a fancier office. It's purpose-driven and, and we're doing, you know, a lot of things to, to change the world through sports, things like the Daily Mile, Go Run For Fun, Rebel School, STEM School, lots, lots of initiatives, um, Get Outside through Ordnance Survey, all these campaigns that we've done, um, manifest, our, manifest our own values. And I, and I believe that the other things I'm involved in, it, it's almost like an ecosystem. Um, but I, I've closed the door recently on quite a few things where they just run their course. You know, I, I feel that, that, that I've added my value and next year i you think maybe maybe 12 18 months time i see things will you know it's all cyclical this economy it will, it'll start to pick up again and my eyes are very very family focused on the future now and i've got a few ideas that i'm going to be working on next year touching on a little bit of a comment you said earlier on about at a younger age you were a people pleaser i would imagine one of the difficult things for you is or one of the most important things is knowing when to say no and what not to do like I've learned that the hard way. You, you talk about the biggest mistakes that, that I've made on many levels in my life. It, it is that. I'm the opposite to to a control freak. Like, you know, it's that analogy about someone, you give someone a fish, you feed them for a day, give them a rod, you feed them for life. On every level from from kids to, to employees, to partners, to business partners, I am all about uh, transparency, about demystifying what I do. It's not that hard. And about, you know, empowerment and people just turn off their brain, you know, when they're told what to do. So within Brownwave and other companies that I've, I've started, people will say, you know, first, if you go to ask Dan, the first thing he's going to say is what, what do you, you think you should do? A lot of people have come to me o- over the years and I think I've had maybe close to 100 now full-time employees at, at Brownwave and God knows how many uh, sort of contractors and freelancers. They say, 
oh, you know, previously I, I wasn't re recognized enough for, you know, my intelligence or my drive. And I wanted something where I can really run it. And I was like, well, careful what you wish for, because if you come here, you're going to get it. You know, day one, it's sink or swim. Again, I've never seen a gray area on this. Some people rise to it, you know, and I was like, you hire who you want, you know, you, you, you do it, but it's yours. That works for me. And I think oftentimes people in life, you know, their greatest strengths is their greatest weakness. The times it works against me is when people see me as an opportunity, I think, you know, because I'm lucky enough to be at a, at a position where I can invest in companies. And, you know, when I talk about invest, you know, cash is the cheapest kind of investment, right? You, you know, more expensive ones is resources and, and, and energy and, and, and commitment as well as cash. And um, sometimes... I get blinded by the stoke. Um, you know, I'm just so on board for something and the red flags are there, you know, everyone else can see them. <laughs> and it's not that I don't see them. I'm just like, I'm just going to put so much positive energy into this that I'm just going to, I'm just going to crush it. You know, it's just sometimes that crushes me and it has done on a few occasions, which is why mental health, particularly amongst men is another thing for me, particularly amongst founders of companies, you know, and in my experience, the people who are more driven that they are suffer the most from mental health. And it's not from external factors of family or business or their boss shouting at them. It's, it's actually from not living up to, the, to their own standards. And that's happened to me a, a few times. And in all instances where I've been blinded by the stoke and, you know, probably gone on things uh, or let things go on for, for longer than, than, they, than they should have, because I don't particularly like confrontation. I've learned. I think as Oscar Wilde said, you know, experience is the word we give to our mistakes. And I'm very experienced. <laughs> I've made a lot of mistakes. I'm lucky that, you know, as a, as a, a gray hair consultant now, that's a thing that I'm, I'm able to give the benefit of, of, you know, having done so many things and been part of so many companies, you know, across all things, you know, from product to service, environmental stuff, tech stuff. The, the, the benefit of that is it, is it's, it, one, it's made me a better person. I'm more empathetic and I feel a lot more people's energy and I listen a lot less to, to, to what they say. And, and two, it makes me a, a, a better consultant as well. So that would be the positive from all those times that I probably should have said no. So what would you consider to be your most important task as a business leader? People, whether it's an employee, whether it's a client, whether it's a business partner, making good decisions around people. I'll give you an example for, for, for Brownwave. Years ago, my wife was heavily pregnant with twins. She was working in the company, heading up some big clients. She's very uncomfortable and pregnant, and we really needed to replace her. I was under some pressure. Recruitment was quite hard, which is why you need a uh, good recruitment consultant, if you know any. And um, my team had interviewed um, uh, uh, a lot of candidates and we got down to, to one and they said, really, this person's got all the skills, lovely person, and got all the experience. All you need to do is go into that interview. I was like, this is just a formality that I'm going to go in. And always my first question is not about any of those things, it's about sports. This person had come from a professional sports background and... And I said, you know, tell me about sports. What are you into? And they said, well, I used to do a lot of sports, but these days, you know, life's taken over. I'm not that into it. Interview over. You're not getting the job. That's a values thing because what I have learned, and I have made those mistakes in the past, is that's what's going to get someone to the job. That's going to make, you know, make them move country, take a, you know, maybe a less salary than in, in, a, in a bank where they've already been offered a job. The, the ability to, you know, offices on the beach, we go surfing or running or something every day. The ability to work on things you love, that's going to keep you there. But it's also, you're going to be really good at your job and you're going to inspire others and, and that energy. My job is to get, is to get those people and, and retain them. 
And I'd say the same comes from selecting the businesses that I want to be involved in. You know, if the if someone comes to me and says, I'm doing this, you know, the project is to work for it, three years exit and you know, make exit amount of money and that's that's the you know, no matter how attractive to that that is, I just it's just a different energy to the one that I'm I'm working with and um I play more of the uh what Simon Sinek would call the infinite game. You know, I'm the getting it's not about getting to the top of the mountain, it's about enjoying the view on the way up. Yeah. And uh I've got some life in me left on that. Good to hear. Just about. If I don't fall off the fucking mountain. Oh, yeah. There's always that risk. Yeah. There's always that risk. How do you describe yourself as a leader? I mean, what type of leader are you? High energy. I think, um, you know, as you know, I've been through quite a lot over the last few years. And, you know, one of the net effects of that is I just have less energy. I I used to I used to be like one of those nuclear submarines that never needs to get a port. You know, I just didn't need to sleep. I just had high energy for everything all the time. And people used to think it was fake. They're like, you know, this guy can't really be that into it and that passion. But no, man, it's I have nothing to prove to anybody. You know, it, it it's real, and, I, and I'm doing it for the love. And I'm still high energy. I just don't have as much of it. And I need to be more selective about who, when, and where I expend that energy. So that's kind of the change that happened. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. You know, it comes down to saying no, which is something I do a lot more of. But it actually means that I, I need to, you know, be be more selective about about what I what I work on. And and as a result, you know, I'm 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 really happy at the moment. In terms of of you know how what I do as as a leader and and, and as a consultant, I simplify things. I think. You know, my sister said years ago, she said, some people down are onions. They've just got layers and layers. You said, you're a potato. <laughs> wow. Said, yeah. <laughs> I think she meant it, you know, however she meant it, I, I took it as a compliment, you know, because she said, you know, and we're still so close, me and my sister. And she always says, you know, you've not evolved a day since you were 10 years old. You know, what you, you know, if you knew you then, you know you now and you, you know what you get. So for me, it, it's simplicity. And actually, um, in business and in marketing, people love to overcomplicate things, and that and that's and that's the problem. So you take marketing resources, time, money, people, for an example. Classically, what people do is you know, got a can of soda, and they pour it into um, a Le Creuset dish, you know, like a baking dish, and it's super wide because everyone's telling them, you need to be across social media, you need to be across influencers, you need to be across this, and you know, no, no matter how big you are, it's it, it's relative, you know. Um, you know, I work some companies got like a billion dollar marketing budget and they say we don't have enough resources. It's relative. And but what you do is you have breadth, but you have no depth. You have you have no 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 real resonance in any of those things. And it and it really happens when things get too democratized in, in marketing and you get all other people shouting about what you should and shouldn't be doing. Um and confidence. You know, a, a lot of people um just wanna be seen to doing everything everyone wants. I'm perfectly happy with being hated and and i'm used to people disagreeing with me you know people disagree with me all day long it's, it's almost my job to be to disagree with um but what you should do is you should take those resources um you need to map the landscape look at everyone else is doing and just say fuck that you know i cannot win with a quarter of the budget against you know this um and you pour it into like a, a pilsner glass or, or or a test tube and do less more you get real penetration and brands that go really, really quick are super focused in business and in marketing about what they're going to do and, 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 and what they're not going to do. So 
uh, you know, it, coming back to your question about the, I guess the value I added as a leader or what is, what is my style? It's simple. There's, there's a lot of things going on and it's just stripping all that stuff away and trying to do less more and, and, and do it really, really well. So I'm, I'm generally, um, I don't second guess myself much. And I always say like a bad decision is better than indecision. So being quite decisive and, and, and then being a force for, for driving it forward and, and, and completing it. What is like an energy sapper for you? What is something where you're like, okay, I know that I need to avoid this type of person or this type of situation because it just takes my energy. It's, the most important question in this podcast is the most important question in life. Bad energy is toxic. Bad energy will destroy everything in your business. It will destroy everything in your life. And the inverse is true. I think about good energy. You can get through pretty much anything. I think if, if your energy is right and, and the and the people you surround yourself with have have the right kind of energy, and for me, it's not a metric anymore. It's it's the metric. It's the only metric. And it's hilarious to hear myself saying this, you know, hippie Dan, like, because really I divide my life into this pre the, the death of, of my daughter, Ruby, and this post, and it's really Dan 2.0. And I do have a very different outlook. And I think people see me on the outside. I'm still going surfing. I still sound the same. I still look the same. But it's almost like a lot of the software, the operating system internally has changed. And and one of the big ones that come out of it is 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 this question of energy. And I think not only do people have an energy, but people's energy can change. People can have a bad energy and it becomes a good energy and, and vice versa. So just because, you know, you decided to so align yourself with somebody and that could be nothing to do with you. That could be stuff, you know, things that they have going on there and, and that goes bad. It's be able to be aware of it and, and, and confident enough um, not to make it like a big thing, but just to be like, I need out of this. Get away because it's um, it's going to damage you on, on on all kinds of levels. You know, there's drains and and there's batteries or, or, or whatever it is. I I'm so lucky to to be friends with some of my my heroes, like um, uh, people like Tom K. Uh, you know, um, who everyone gets this right. You don't have to meet this guy for two seconds. People like Francisco Goya. People had posters of on my wall when I was a kid. You know, who I'd now consider um, very, very, very close friends and speaking selfishly, what do I get from those relationships? It's not, you know, it's not, it's not quantitative things. It's, it's qualitative things. It's, it's the energy. That's, that's the, the, the biggest value of, of, of it all. And, and these guys have all been through the fucking mill on, on, on everything. You know, if, if someone's listening to this podcast thinking they're, they're going to find like a quick fix to, you know, an easy life and an easy career, Elon Musk said something on the lines of like being an entrepreneur is like, eating broken glass and looking into the black abyss of death. And I think he's underselling it. <laughs> you know, it's, it's even harder than that, you know, and it gets, and, and with scale, <laughs> those problems, you get even bigger. But what you, what you do is, is you get better at it. The guys, I, the people I, I really look up to, they knew this, you know, whether they, whether they talk about it in terms of energy or, or just the, the, the way that they behave, they are, they, they just admit it and people are drawn to it. And it just, the world has a way of, of working through things, you know, because it just reaches critical mass, but also they're self-aware enough that they're selective about who they're in. And if there's a bad energy being with your team or, or whatever, it, it's going to be, they're pretty quick to act on it. I had a, an interview a couple of years ago with a, a new agency and, and the CEO was there and he said, 
we're doing, we're so successful. We've never lost a, a single employee. We've never lost a single client. And I just burst out laughing. <laughs> and I was like, man, I almost wanted to you know, grab him and, you know, <laughs> and have a, like a fatherly chat. Cause that's the worst fucking metric, right? Like you, there is a natural attrition of, of team. You know, there's always going to be a churn and you need to do that natural churn of product, natural churn of, of, of clients. And if, and if you take that personally, you know, it, it, it will destroy you because you know, things aren't just going to be, you know, aligned forever. And I think the sooner you realize that, then then the quicker you can start acting upon it and, and being more selective about the energy. Um, and that works on every level for me, like in, in, including clients. Like people think that clients are select agencies, but agencies select clients as much, if not more so. And, and, and you want to do that um, based on that, on that sort of energy and, and, that, and that values level. Maybe connected to that. I wanted to touch on, I think, for you and for Brandways, you know, authenticity is is super important. Have you been in a situation where you've had to take a difficult decision around a client, or or a strategic decision from a business development point of view that you felt okay if it just doesn't feel right, like it doesn't feel authentic for us as a business. Um, so either we're not going to do it or we're going to do it in a different way. Yeah, I, I have. Um, I think we went through periods of very fast growth at Brandwave um, where we were op- you know, opening offices in, in other countries, um, overheads you know, doubling quickly, team doubling. And you know, they call it growing pains. That They call it growing pains because it is painful. Um, because all those things you had a pretty tight handle on your operations, you know, the ethos was in the company, et cetera. You know, you grow quickly and the wheels can come off and you can also take the eyes you, you know your eyes off the kind of clients that, that you're, you're you're um you're taking on as well which is our fault you know and i and i'll own that when i was younger I'd, I'd meet potential clients and they go they go oh dan you don't want to work with us you're a nightmare and that's that blinded by the stoke they fucking told me they warned me up front you know they're they're eating you know in court with half a dozen agencies they're churning through agencies and i'm sitting there up to my neck and shit a few months later and i'm like whose fault is this really it's it's my fault and i think that sort of comes from that i talked about making decisions under pressure where you know my overheads are you know just just the fixed cost of staff is getting into millions and I need to take these really, really big contracts. Oftentimes I can be with a sports brand or something on the periphery of sports, but the people don't come from it. And I've got no interest in it, in it whatsoever. Then I don't have that alignment. You know, we, we work with Shimano, for example, Ollie and my team, when they go to Shimano, the first two days, they just start biking with those guys. <laughs> you know, I've got half a dozen clients that come to my office. I'm saying, which day of the week are you going to come? They're like, they want to know which day the swell is best. Uh, so we can go surfing together and we're going to try the products and we're going to talk about it and they're going to see, can, can I get them a wetsuit and vice versa? That bond, you know, it's not got a dollar value on it, but when the pro- when the project hits problems, which they inevitably do, you know, their stock hasn't arrived in time, you know, the, the budget isn't what it was, et cetera. That's what's going to see you through. Plus, I want to take risks. I'm not at the stage in, in, in my life where I just want to do safe campaigns where everyone's like, oh, it seems to be fine. Nah, indifferent. You know, I want some stuff to fail because if you're if you're at the cutting edge of, of marketing, you've got to be prepared to throw like five things at the wall and, and two of them are going to stick. And, you know, that fail fast mentality that, you know, if you I had a, a, a sports coach once who said to me, um, get comfortable with being uncomfortable, Dan. Um, so back to your question about where that's where that's gone wrong 
I think the people, it, it's been great when it's, a, you know, when things are going well. Um, when it's a transactional relationship, it's a lot less partnership. It's more client supplier. We're here, you're here. But as soon as there's a problem, which there always is, then you don't have that that fallback of those aligned values. Um, so I come back to the original point of purpose-driven values energy. Um, that's a great decision-making framework. And for those you know, people listening who are thinking about their next job, maybe they've made those mistakes already. You know, maybe they're just chasing the highest dollar or the best or the best um, job title, et cetera. It, you know, nine times out of 10, that's going to land you, land you in a really un, unhappy place. It's, it's about in, you know, being introspective and knowing who you are, what you want, what your values of system are, being able to define, be able to articulate and project that. And then, you know, hopefully go to someone like yourself who, you know, who can put them, next to or introduce them to to an organization who has that same belief system nah, you know the rest of the interview is uh it's it's going to be far more you know about um about alignment so if you knew you weren't going to fail you wouldn't fail is there anything that you would do differently now in what you do professionally it it, it comes down to your relationship with risk um, the most successful people I know are the biggest risk takers and they've got a different view on, on, on risk. And you can take a lot of risk out in your career and then they get comfortable and, and, and stop taking it. And it makes me think of, you know, some of the big wave surfers I know. Um, and, you know, to an outsider, they'd say, uh, you know, you're crazy, that, but they're not crazy. They do a lot of training. They do a lot of evaluation. It, it, it's a calculated risk. If I could do anything, I would take more risks I would embrace failure. It, it failed, and I'm so proud of that because that 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 show that shows that I'm that I'm that I'm pushing it. You know, the the, the best surfers you you watch them out there. They are falling every two seconds. You know, because they're pushing the boundaries. And the guy who comes in and goes, "I haven't fallen all day." You know, I haven't got my hair wet. That doesn't impress me at all. So when, when I meet um, marketing managers or business leaders who say, "You know, I've never lost a client. I've never lost any other stuff," that that doesn't impress me. I want to hear your. I want to hear your horror stories. I want to hear about your sleepless nights, and you know, t turning that round to the future. When I'm feeling a little bit nervous about things, <laughs> I'm getting a bit of a twitch. I'm like, "Whoa, fuck this!" You know, this could go wrong. That's when I know I'm pushing things to the next level. Yeah. Um, and you know, I've been in those kind of businesses where that sort of, "What if we make a mistake? What if people think we're doing the wrong thing?" Um, those kind of insecurities. And what, what you end up with is just indifference. You just end up doing what everyone else has done. Um, I had a client who said to me once, if, if, you, if, if your campaign doesn't you know, shock or offend me, then you're not doing a job. And um, I actually am a, I'm a, a, a big fan of Steve Bartlett and the Diary of a CEO. And I'm just reading his book that came out a few weeks ago. And he said, the enemy is obscurity. The enemy is indifference. And I, and I talked about... Uh, that economist article but also i read a forbes article um, that became quite famous and it said that the average north american consumer receives between seven and ten thousand marketing messages a day and you know you just look at how many messages we received yesterday you know in, in terms of of where we are so how are you going to get cut through it's certainly not by doing what everyone else does um and he said he would rather it that 80% of people hated what you do vocally 
you know, video, you look at like the successful brands like Tesla, etc. You got, you know, people posting videos of cars, batteries bursting on fire. And yet they're very quickly the most valuable car company out there. He said, I prefer 80% of people actively didn't like my brand and 20% were passionate about it and could align themselves about it. Because at least those 20% will fucking buy. Because the alternative is 100% of people are just like, oh, that's safe. That's okay. That's what I expected from a brand in that sector. Um, take more risks. So this could be the most difficult question of the podcast for you. <laughs> what's your favorite piece of sports or outdoor gear because i'm guessing you've got a lot so <laughs> you know there's an irony to this in that you know by by virtue of what i do i get given a lot of yeah. kit right but i hate it i'm like a minimalist like okay yeah okay. everyone says to me dan you must have so many bikes you must have so many yeah. surfboards you must have so many this. it i can't i can't sleep at night you know so i got too many so and i travel a lot so i want like equipment that's really versatile uh and the more choice i have you know yeah, everyone knows somebody you know at that competition is going back and changing their kit every two minutes and i'm like there's a lot to be said for getting to know the the the, the equipment you have my favorite piece of sports equipment can I tell you my favorite guitar? If you want. I've got a, a Gibson Les Paul standard, a vintage one, and that's the same as as what Slash played. Okay. And cool. that was a gift on wow. our 10th anniversary from... The um, double... Uh... No, not the double one, okay. no, the single, in sunburst color. And I, funnily enough, I don't play that guitar much, but we were talking about materialistic stuff. If, if the house is burning, you know, after the kids, I think that that's going to be something that comes out. That was a gift from... Um, my ex and my team at Brownwave on our 10 year anniversary. That's something I felt I never deserved. I've always wanted it. Um, and it took someone else to, to get it for me. And I would say at the moment, I was in Hawaii a few weeks ago. Um, there's a brand called Quattro, which the top guys in the world is a custom board manufacturer shaped by the greatest manufacturer of all time. Um, uh, Keith the Bull and owned by himself and my really good friends um, Lala and Francisco Goya but there's a waiting list you know it's like the Stratovarius of of of, uh, of boards yeah last time I was out there like we're, we're, we're gonna we're gonna make you a board and um, I got to work a little bit with um, Brazilian the world champion and one of my other friends Adam Lewis who's become one of their shapers and you know yes it's about the board but it's also about the process right you know it's it's, it's not about the the end of the cake is, and I got to see it being made and I've had other customs, but to, to have one of, of this level. And then a lot of time you get like custom kit and it doesn't work. The great thing about production kit is it's been tested and tested and tested and tested. Um, but this one, it just, oh my God, I just feel like a superhero. And I think it's partly the board and it's partly the, the feeling I get, yeah. you know, it just pushes me that it's, it's like the Dumbo and the Magic Feather. I fucking love that board, man. Do you have it here? Is that what you uh, It's in my van. Okay. Yeah. okay. Nice. You, you, you can't borrow it. No, no. <laughs> well, for sure. <laughs> that would be a big mistake that you would regret if I borrowed it. What one book would you recommend for somebody that's working in the sports and outdoor industry or maybe wants to work in the sports or outdoor industry to inspire them and maybe help them in their journey? Oh, man. I read a lot. Like, it's kind of a a bit of a joke amongst my friends. Like whenever I go on a, on a trip, you know, a sports trip somewhere, I've got like a suitcase full of books and I like them to be books, you know, not Kindle, yeah, not audio books. Yeah. There's just something about turning the pages on, on a book for me. And 
I, I do read a lot in around uh, business, self-help, a lot of autobiographies. I always tend to be a fan of the, um, of the last one I read. I can't narrow it to one. In marketing, I would say the 22 Immutable Laws of Marketing. It's very old, very thin book. You could read it on the toilet. It's, um, it's funny and it will teach you things they don't teach you in a marketing degree or a master's degree. It's just common sense and gives you easy examples. And it's just so relatable. I've, given, I've bought hundreds of copies over the years for clients and I, and I test them on it, you know, in, in, terms of their, in terms of their own business. So that's like, if you, if, if you want to get an insight into marketing strategy in really understandable terms, yeah. the 22 immutable laws of marketing. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, Dan, I'm going to have to give a few others. Um, I'll list them in the show notes in, for everyone. In life, I've just finished Dave Gold's book, uh, okay. lead singer of the, you know, yeah. the Foo Fighters and um, uh, the drummer from Nirvana. Also, Slash's book was pretty good. Um, so I like I like musicians, you know, because these guys are generally pretty fucked up people, and you know, have had very turbulent life, and as a result, have learned a, a lot through it. And you know, and if they make it past twenty seven and don't drown in their own vomit, they they tend to be, you know pretty wise people so i enjoyed reading that and then yeah as, as i said just such a big uh steve bartlett fan and he's done hundreds of, of of podcasts and you know as he says at the start of his own book he, he doesn't like long books and he's got those 33 rules and i've read a lot of them but some of those are just so profound uh, and he's taken them from some of his guests um, imagine you'll have a book coming out uh, <laughs> soon enough. It's a great way to cheat. Um, and he's really just, you know, consolidated what the best guests, I hope I get a chapter um, or not. And um, he's consolidated what the, the best guests have, have, have sort of said. And the, there's just a couple in there that just transcend everything, business and life and instantly implementable, which is a, is a big thing for me as well. You know, aggregation of marginal gains is, is a theme for sure. Sorry, you asked for one, and no, I'll give you about six. So, if you can give future leaders in our industry, in the sports and outdoor industry, three bits of advice. I think, kind of reflecting what we've been talking about, you know, the first one is take time to understand who you are, you know, where, where your passion is. You know, people I know who just flip all over the place, it's probably because they don't have that anchor. You and I will always do this, you know, to the day we die, we'll work in some way, you know, within it. And we're, we're the lucky ones. Um, so, so do the work, as the, as the Americans say, and, 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 you know, discover who you are and, and then let things fall into place rather than just chasing the result. I think that's the first one. The, the, the second one is about just wanting to be a part of, of an industry and just getting in there, you know, it's do it for free, fucking pay them to do it. You know, um, don't do it for the job type, move country, whatever it takes, because it's, the, it's, it's, you know, no matter how young or old you are, it, it, it's the rest of your life. It's the biggest investment you've got. And, and that's you. And you don't get a, sh a second shot at this life. Don't wait, you know? Um, and, and, you know, it's, it's so easy to talk about the risks, right? You know, I've, I've got family, I've got this, other. everyone does that, but, then I guess that brings me on to the third. I'm, I'm staying pithy for you here, is risk uh, and your relationship with risk. You know, don't do, you know, as I, I talked about the surfers, you know, who, who their metric of success is never falling in, never getting embarrassed and the rest of it. Embrace it, you know, um, celebrate your failures. 
that surfer who's falling in the time and everyone's laughing at. And I always say, you know, that's always me. People are criticizing, always laughing. But, you know, some of those surfers, they go on to become the very best. The, the, the people who take no risks, they, they don't improve. Brilliant. Well, I think we're about out of time. I, we could carry on for a lot longer. But um, but thank you very much for taking the time. It's It's been really great talking to you, actually. It's been, it's been a pleasure for me. It's, uh, it's some really great topics. And I have to say, you know, you've always been somewhat of an inspiration for me because I remember, I think maybe it was one of the European Outdoor Summits, one of the first times I heard you speak. And I was like, okay, this is somebody to to kind of watch and you know the what you do and the part you play i think in the industry is you know really inspiring so 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 yeah thank you for today and thank you for for that and uh yeah good luck for the coming weeks months and years at brand i'm interested to hear about what's coming maybe next year oh, firstly that's just such a kind thing to say and I- I would say the same, you know, when, when I first met you, you were right at the top of the industry and, you know, I was, I was right at the bottom. So, you know, something to, something to, to aspire to. Um, secondly, um, thank you for the opportunity and, and I hope collectively, um, that, that those listening can take something, um, away from this. I'm sure not all. And, uh, as for those other bits, yeah, watch this space. Great. Brilliant. Thanks, Dan. I hope you enjoyed the episode as much as I did. We love to read your feedback, so please leave your thoughts in the comments below. Thanks again for your support. See you soon, and don't forget to subscribe.